Hey guys, uh, glad you guys are here. Thank you, Noah. Appreciate you, buddy. Man, it's uh, exciting times around here. It's great to, to be able to celebrate Christmas with everyone. Hey, if you're a guest with us, I just want to say thank you for coming and being a part of our, our worship experience here. If you're online, I just want to say a uh, welcome to you as well. Thank you for, for being with us and joining us. Um, we are in the middle of a two-week series, and you know, actually, Ryland says that if it's a two-weeker, it's not really a series. It's just two sermons. So um, kind of we're, we're beginning um, the sermon series, and we're ending it at the same time, really. So we're in the middle of this uh, two-weeker, and uh, we've been talking through the, the birth of Jesus and making the month of December all about Jesus. And we're going to look at, we've been looking at a, a verse in the Bible that is kind of like a slogan for, for Jesus. You guys know what a slogan is. It's just kind of a saying that helps you remember you know, something like a product or something. So let me see how good you guys are at this. So I need some audience participation here. Ready? If I said bounty, the quicker. Okay, you're doing good. Okay, yeah. So bounty, the quicker, picker, upper. Okay, how about this? Like a good neighbor? Okay, yeah, y'all are nailing it. Okay, y'all are pretty good. Red Bull gives you? Winks. <laughs> Thank you, Noah. Um, you're drinking it right now, probably. Okay. <clears throat> Capital One, what's in? Okay. How about this one? BMW, the ultimate the driving machine. Some of y'all didn't get that one, okay? BMW, the ultimate driving machine. You, see, you, you hear those on the radio, you see them on TV, and it helps you remember something. Well, we're in John chapter 1, and we're looking at this, this, this phrase, this one single verse that I believe is like a slogan for, for Jesus and his purpose here on this earth. In fact, if your Bibles turn to it, it's John chapter 1 in verse 14. And I'll have every, all the scripture up on the screen behind me. <clears throat> and let's look at this verse today. The Bible says, And the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Last week, we looked at this, the beginning And the word became flesh. And we talked about what that meant, and we kind of came up with a new phrase to help us to understand that. Because understanding what it means by word and understanding what it means by flesh, sometimes it's difficult. And so we came up with this new phrase that was this, that that God arrived on the scene in human form. That's a great way of thinking of the beginning of that. Well, today we're going to look at the second part of that verse. This part right here, and dwelt among us. And what that means is that God became human and he stayed. He stayed. He, didn't, he wasn't just born as, as a man and then leave. He stayed. He dwelt among us. And this word dwelt is coming from the Greek word for tent. Did y'all know that? It means tent. Really, it's talking about the Old Testament tabernacle. And, and maybe another way of saying it is this. And some versions say this, that he tabernacled with us. Or he tabernacled among us. Really that Jesus, he set up his tent in our camp and he stayed. And any Jew who heard this, who read these words, they would know exactly what John was talking about. Because the temple and the tabernacle, these Old Testament places, were really, really important in their lives. In fact, I want to take you on a little journey this morning and show you exactly what they would have understood when John said, dwelt among us. Let me show you this first picture. This first picture is of the original tabernacle. It's not the actual picture, okay? They didn't have cameras back then. 
But this is a, a recreation of it out in the desert somewhere. And this is a pretty amazing um, look at what the, the first tabernacle was. When you, when, you, when you hear tabernacle, think portable temple, okay? So think about this. The, the Jewish people, they're in 400 years of captivity in Egypt. They get out of Egypt. They're walking around in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses is there about 1300 B.C., and they get the, the Ten Commandments. They put it in this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And then God gives them instructions, exactly the dimensions, the material, how to build this thing. It was blueprints for the tabernacle. And so they built this thing, but they were traveling, so it was something they had to be able to roll up and take with them. And the cool thing about the tabernacle, the most amazing thing about the tabernacle is the Ark of the Covenant was inside it. And the Bible says that God's presence resided over the Ark of the Covenant. And people could see it. During the day, it was this cloud that, that kind of swirled above them. And then at, at night, it was this pillar of fire that swirled around. And people could literally see God's presence. The tabernacle was important. In fact, look what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 29. God says this, I will meet the people of Israel there in the place made holy by my glorious presence. Yes, I will consecrate the tabernacle and the altar. And I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will live among the people of Israel and be their God. And they will know that I am the Lord, their God. I am the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I can live among them. And I am the Lord, their God. So they take God with them throughout the wilderness in this tabernacle, this portable temple. And then they finally get to the Holy Land later on. King David, you know the story of King David, and then his son, King Solomon, takes over after David passed away, and he had the chance to build like a permanent tabernacle, and they called it the temple. And here's a picture or an artist's rendition of what this would have looked like. <coughs> so in the Old Testament, there's descriptions. There's, there's all these different ritual baths areas. There's these places for, for uh, sacrifices, and they would come here and pray and sacrifice inside, full of gold, Incredible, full of all the wealth of the people. It's an amazing place. The uh, Holy of Holies is in there. Ark of the Covenant in there. It's, it's the, the most spectacular thing that they've ever seen. It's this permanent structure, but in 587, it gets destroyed. Because the Babylonians, who were a neighboring country, they come in and they wipe the Israelites out. They take this and they destroy this place. They took all the valuable things out of it. They even took the Ark out of it. And they destroyed this whole place. In fact, you can go to Israel today. You can go to the Temple Mount. And you can see stones from that first temple that were thrown down. Okay? It's an amazing experience to be able to see those, those things. And so they are sent to captivity. They have to go to a foreign land, the, to, to, the, to Babylon. Here's the interesting thing about that. They didn't have a temple. They couldn't sacrifice. They couldn't worship the way that they were supposed to worship. And so you know what the people did? They began to meet in smaller buildings. Not to be able to sacrifice, but to be able to, to pray and to read scripture together. You know what they called it? They called them synagogues. That's when synagogues began to, to take shape. And if you go in the New Testament, you see that Jesus, he walked from place to place, from town to town. He'd go to these synagogues. And how we do church has a lot to do with these synagogues and the way that they did things. So they're in captivity. Eventually they get to return. But for the rest of the time that the Jews are in the Holy Lands, they are, they are dominated the whole time. And, and they are controlled by foreign entities. And so they're allowed to build a new temple. 
So that was Solomon's temple, and they get to, they get to rebuild it. And so they, they go and rebuild this new temple in, in 516 B.C., and here's kind of artist rendering of this, this next temple. It's called the Second Temple. In this second temple, it was actually smaller than the first one. It wasn't as pretty. It wasn't as fancy. It wasn't as nice. And here's the deal. The ark wasn't there. They never have recovered the ark again. And during Jesus' time, about 500 years later, the Romans are in charge now. They're ruling the place. And King Herod is in charge. He's ruling over this whole area. And what he does is he expands this, this location. And he expands the temple area. And here's what it looks like. This is what the temple looked like. He expanded all this other stuff. He even added a fortress up here to the Romans control the whole area. And so this was done right before Jesus' birth. This is the temple that Jesus would have walked in and spent time at. And then in 70 AD, the Romans got fed up and they destroyed the whole thing and just wiped the, the whole place clean. And all that was left is the foundation. Now this temple and this tabernacle... They represented God's presence with his people. In fact, it was so important to them that even the Bible talks about it in Psalm chapter 84. Here's what it says. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord, for, for this temple. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would, I would rather be a, a doorkeeper in the house of my God then dwell in the tents of the wicked. Do you know that today you can go to that exact same spot? Now, it looks a little bit different. In fact, it's controlled by, by Islam. There's a Muslim shrine, okay? The, the, the Dome of the Rock is right there. And there's another, there's a mosque on that temple ground. But it has the same foundation. Let me show you an aerial view of what it looks like today. This is the exact same place. It is the most contested piece of property on the planet. And if you go to Israel today, you get a chance to actually walk on it. As Americans, you can go and you can spend time there. In fact, in October, we had a group go from, from, Israel, uh, from here to Israel, and we got to do that. We got to walk through here and go right up to this Dome of the Rock and walk all the way around on these foundational stones that Jesus would have walked on. But even today, this place is still really, really important to the Jewish people, even though they don't control inside the walls. But if you look here on this screen, right over here, this little section right over here on the other side of this of the, of the wall, there's this place called the Western Wall or the, the Wailing Wall. It's a famous part because that's the only place that the Jews have access to the Temple Mount. Here's a picture from our trip of the Western Wall. The men got to go over here. The women were on this other side right over here. And we took this picture of these men and some women they were going to the, to the Western Wall. You can even go underneath through this tunnel. You can go in underneath uh, the, the modern-day Jerusalem along the temple wall. You can go to these huge stones. There's a stone that's like the size of this, this stage, guys. One piece, and somehow it got there. I'm like, how did they do that? Well, the Israelites, they helped build the pyramids, right? <laughs> They're in Egypt. So they had some technology, and it was amazing to be able to go and to, to be right up there. We went up there, right up there to the to the, the wall and get to touch it, and it was just, it was incredible. We had to wear these yarmulkes, guys. It was crazy. But yarmulkes, they have these little clips that keep it on your head, so I had a hard time. It was like falling off all the time, okay? So I was just walking around holding it. Um, but but it, was, it was crazy because the, the men there, 
And then we went underground. There was women reading scripture, touching this wall, and they're weeping and crying because they're trying to get as close as they can to God. Because they believe that just on the other side of the wall is where his presence used to be, the Holy of Holies. And they can't get to it. It's the saddest thing that they're, they're so close to God's presence, yet they, they feel like they're just an arm's length away. So they spend their days praying and begging God to show up again. This temple was, was everything to them. And John wrote his gospel about 15 years after the Romans destroyed it. So the people knew everything about the temple. It was fresh on their mind. And when he wrote the words, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. He knew ex- they knew exactly what he was talking about. And not only did, did God become human and dwell and stay with us, but here's another thing if you're taking notes today. God became human and he walked with us. Not only did he set up his tent in our camp, but he walked with us. Jesus was literally on this earth. But the question is, what did he do? I mean, he's creator. The Bible says that he's creator of of everything, of all things. But he didn't sit on a throne saying, everybody worship me. He's special. He's the most special person that's ever walked on the planet. But he didn't force people to treat him like that. You know what he did? He spent time with people and traveled from place to place because he loves us. He loves all people. They've done these calculations, these expert people, way smarter than me, they've done these calculations of how much, how, how far Jesus traveled during his ministry. So they could look at all the places he traveled in the Gospels in the recorded sections of, of the Bible. And they can figure out that Jesus probably walked about 3,125 miles just in the, in the, the Gospels. But we know that he traveled many more places than that. We, we know that he was a little kid, and we know that he was a young man. And they've done these calculations and, and estimate that Jesus walked on this earth 21,500 miles. That's a lot of walking. That's almost around the entire earth. And if you think about an average person walks about 2,000 steps per mile, that's how long it takes to get one mile, here's something amazing. That God became human and walked with us, get this, 43 million steps. That's what, that's how far, that's how many steps Jesus took here on this earth. He didn't float around like a ghost. He literally took step after step after step. So just like last week, <clears throat> we looked at Jesus' birth. And we looked at some places, actually, um, from, from our trip. And we looked at some, some pictures, that, the places that we got to go see. Well, I want to make this idea real to you today. That he took 43 million steps. And you can go and see these places today. The first place I want to show you is this. This is a picture of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus spent 80% of his ministry, those three years, around this area. You can see off in the distance right over here, that's Capernaum right there, where Jesus, like his headquarters was. And we're on a boat right here in this, this picture, this picture we took out on the Sea of Galilee. And I want to show this picture to you first because you know where Jesus' most famous steps were? Walking on that, okay? 
walking on this water. And this water is beautiful. The, the sky is beautiful. It's a great day. But when he walked in the water, it was totally different. Dark sky, lots of storms, lots of waves. And Jesus conquered that water and walked on it. Those are some amazing steps. If you travel right over there to the shore, you get to the town of Capernaum. And Peter lived in Capernaum. In fact, a lot of the disciples lived in that area. And they have found, this is amazing, they found Peter's house. They've seen that there's been churches for centuries that have been built up over his house. It, a, it became a place of worship, like a holy site. And here's a picture of it. Here's a picture I took. There's a modern church that's like suspended over the top of Peter's house. You can go and stand right underneath there. You can even get up in the church and look down through glass, and you can see Peter's house. And just to think that Jesus spent time there. I took this picture from the steps of a, the synagogue that Jesus would have spent time in, where they would have gone and worshipped. And this is Peter's neighborhood. And one of the most amazing things, at least for me, in this picture is this little bit of bare ground right over here. You can't see it in this picture, but it's a road that travels like this. It runs right next to the synagogue. It was the main road of town, and Peter's house was right off of it. Right behind this is the, the, the water, um, and so this is a fishing town. Now, I love that road because that was the ancient road. There's, there's, there's community on both sides of it, and that's where Jesus walked back and forth with his disciples. If you travel five miles from this place, that's it, just five miles, you come to another town called Magdala. We know where Magdala, what Magdala comes from, right? Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene. Her last name wasn't Magdalene, okay? It was because that was the place that she was from. And so Jesus would have spent time there. It's only five miles away along, along the coast. In fact, it's probably the place where Jesus met Mary and asked her to follow him. And throughout the scripture, it talks about how Jesus would have went from town to town and, and taught in the synagogues. Well, here's something that's crazy. Thirteen years ago, they found the first century, for the very first, they found the first century synagogue around the time of Jesus. You want to see it? Here it is. This is from the back side, so the entrance is right over here. It's got columns along there, and you could... It had a, had a roof on it, and it was painted red on the inside, which is kind of cool. They still have parts, like around over there, that still have the red on it. And this area around here was, it's not a bath, it was actually where you, where you sat. And so they didn't sit in rows like we, we sit today. They sat kind of in a circle, like a small group, okay? It was like they're small groups, and they would talk and read scripture and, and discuss and debate. Here's the most amazing thing. They just blew me away. Standing a couple feet away from this. They found the, the actual tile of that synagogue right there, those designs. This blows, blows me away. Jesus walked on those tiles. Some of his 43 million steps were on these steps. That is incredible. Now, Jesus didn't spend just his time around the Sea of Galilee. He traveled all, all around the place, up and down 21,000 uh, miles. One of the places he spent time in was Jericho, and right next to Jericho... Just about, I don't know, it's about 10 miles away is the town of the, the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem and Jericho, we're, we're kind of close to, together. And Jesus told a, a story once of the Good Samaritan. Now this one man was walking between Jericho and Jerusalem and how he was robbed, right? And the Good Samaritan comes and, and, uh, and helps him. 
And people, when they heard that, they would know exactly where that was because that was like a main place that people walked through. In fact, Jesus and the disciples walked back and forth from this place. Let me show you this picture. They have found the ancient road between Jericho and Jerusalem. It might be hard to kind of see it from here, but we're standing on this hill. And where this green area is right there, that is an ancient trail. They didn't walk on top of the mountains because that's up and down. That's like, that would be hard to do. They didn't walk down the valleys because it would flood and it was dangerous. So they would walk on the side of the hills. And over here where I'm standing is Jericho, just on the other side of these mountains. And right over here on the very edge of the picture is Jerusalem. And Jesus' disciples would have walked back and forth from this place. He walked there, guys. He spent time there. Let me take you to a couple steps that Jesus walked when he was in Jerusalem. Just north of the, of the temple, there's this pool. And the Bible says that Jesus showed up one day with his guys, and there's all these people trying to get healed at this pool. It's called the Pool of Bethesda. And he goes and he heals this, this person, and the, the, the Pharisees are all upset about it. And it's recorded in Scripture how this changed this man's life. Well, if you go to Jerusalem today, you can see some of these places. Now, they're not on level ground like we would think today. They're about 30 feet below ground, which is weird. But over the centuries, they've just built up dirt and rocks and all that stuff and other foundations, and it's built up. Let me show you a picture of this pool. This is up way, us way up high. There's just rock and dirt and all that kind of stuff. And right between this column, way down in here, there's these columns, these ancient columns of, of the actual pool. And right here are these steps. And these steps were where the, 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 this cripple guy would try to crawl down and get into this pool. Jesus healed this man right on these steps. That's pretty incredible. There's another place that's really important. You can go to today. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's a picture of this. It's this place where Jesus and his disciples like to go to. And you go today, you can see some of these ancient olive trees. They're just, they're just hundreds and hundreds of years old. And this place is still a garden today. And Jesus and his disciples, they love this place. This is like their fort, their hangout place. Look at your kid. You ever have a fort? And you got to, like, this is a place, no girls allowed type of thing. Okay, I don't know if it's like that for them. But, uh, but they, they had this place they, they like to go and spend time together. In fact, you, know, you want to know how, how Judas knew where Jesus was going to be? When he betrayed Jesus, Judas knew where he was going to be because that's where he always was. This was their place. This was their hangout place. And we got to go and spend time there and think about the place that Jesus and his disciples were. And how Jesus said, hey, stay here, guys, and pray. Like, things are about to go down. And I need you to pray for me. And we're not sure exactly where Jesus wandered off to to, to kneel down and pray to the, the Father by himself. And he asked that, that God would take this cup away from him. And then he said, you know, I'm going to do your will regardless. But they think they found this place. There's a church over it right now. And you can go and you can go to this actual bedrock. Here's a picture right here. It's in the middle of this church. There's actual bedrock right there where they believe that's where Jesus sweat drops of blood. There's Alan and Shelley Beers, uh, two of our church members right there, um, and praying or, uh, you know, touching that rock. It's just incredible to see these places. And Jesus walked right there. And then he walked from there to his death. There's two places where Jesus could have been crucified and buried. Just two locations right outside of that ancient place that had like rock facings. One of them is this huge giant church 
And one of them is like this garden place. And I love this garden idea that that's, this place is where Jesus was actually crucified. It has a rock outcropping. It's called the, uh, the place of the skull. It actually looks like a skull when the, these caves, when the sun's hitting it just right. There's a garden right next to it. And right outside of this garden is this tomb that they have uncovered, this first century tomb that could be the place where Jesus was buried. Let me show you that. Beautiful. You can walk there and spend time worshiping there. There's even an old stone that they would have rolled away right there. Isn't that cool? And there's a tomb. It's been that way for thousands of years. And you can actually walk inside it. Let me show you what the inside of that tomb looks like. There's my wife Holly right there. It's, It's kind of, there's this one chamber you can walk in to the left. It's not very big. And then there are two places to lay a body. If you remember in scripture, it says that the disciples, they ran to it. And they looked inside and peeked inside, and the body wasn't there. Just the, the, the cloth was there. That is the only place where Jesus' body could have been. There's an idea that that is exactly where Jesus was, which is pretty incredible. Here's why I show you these things. They're real. This isn't VBS Christianity, Okay. This isn't cartoons and flannel graph. This is, these are real places where John and the disciples, they got to have this front row seat to history. And so John writes, 1 John 1, 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then it's, he says this, And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father. He says, We have seen Jesus' glory. Now, glory means having a position of of high honor, so elevated, okay? And they saw this in Jesus. They saw this at his transfiguration. John was one of the dudes that was there during Jesus' transfiguration. They saw his miracles. They saw um, him speak and heard him speak with authority. But the greatest display of glory that Jesus got to, to show was at his death. Now, death is difficult. It's not fun. And while for most of us, for all of us, death is kind of humbling. It's a humbling experience to watch someone pass away. And when someday, when we all pass away, it'll be a humbling experience, but not for Jesus. Jesus got to display his glory. It was his highest honor. And it made him the most famous person in all the world. And here's what Jesus says about his death in John chapter 12. Right before he passed passed away, he said this. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be not humbled, but to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's talking about what his death is going to do for all of humanity. And so God became human and did something else. He displayed his glory. He showed us his glory. And people were really there. And they were eyewitnesses to some of the most important moments in all of history. So John wrote about his glory, and then he also said this. He says, says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Not only did did God become human and display his glory, but he, he gave us grace and truth. Jesus walked this earth 43 million Steps. And each step was full of grace 
and it was full of truth. What is grace? Grace is something you don't deserve. And God gives us this mercy that we do not deserve. That's what grace is. It has the power to take you from darkness and into light. It has the power to take you from this pit of despair that you've been living in into God's loving arms. It has the power to take you from a future in hell to a future in heaven. And God gives us that through his son, Jesus. And so we have seen all of his grace, all of God's grace in Jesus. And we've also seen his truth. We've seen his truth as well. And when Jesus displayed truth and showed truth, he wasn't talking about like math problems and physics answers. He wasn't giving us facts. He's showing us what real truth is, and it's only found in him. And when you walk with him, when you spend time with him, when you give your life to him, you get to walk in truth. That's pretty awesome. So I want to invite you to do something this Christmas. I want to to ask you to, to recognize something. I want, you, I want you to recognize the steps that Jesus walked. Think about this. From his first steps. For all you parents in this room, you remember when your kids took your, their first step? Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus? Mary's holding them. Joseph's running over there. And like, come on, Jesus, right? Son of God, you can do this, right? And so, and so he, he takes his first steps in Bethlehem. He also walked with his parents when they fled to Egypt for a time. He walked with them out of Egypt back to Nazareth. And as a young boy, he walked in and around that area. As a young man, he traveled all over the place. And we don't have all of the places and the stories of the things that he did during that time. But eventually, we get to hear about when for three years, he walked with people. And he went from town to town and place to place And he called people to follow him. And he healed people and he gave them grace and truth. And eventually he made his way down to Jerusalem. And he went from that garden of Gethsemane that was beautiful. And they marched him off to this illegal trial. And then with bloody feet, he carried a heavy cross to his execution. Why did God himself walk 43 million steps on this earth? The reason is because of you. The reason is, is for you. Because he loves you. And God allowed some people to be eyewitnesses to it, and they recorded it for you. And here's what I love about Scripture. That even though it was so long ago, every single one of us can relate to somebody in Scripture. And so when it's talking about someone, sometimes that, that catches your attention. You say, you know what, I'm kind of like that. And God would meet people in different circumstances, in different situations, and he would, he would minister to them. Like, think about this. If you're someone that has doubt, maybe you're just naturally doubtful about things. You're kind of skeptical about stuff. You're not really sure about all of this stuff. You're trying to figure it out on your own. There's Thomas, you know. This guy that was the same way. And Jesus was patient with him, and he walked with him. And he said, let me show you the evidence. You might be someone that needs to really see some evidence. Let me show you some evidence. Man, God does that even for us today. And when you read about Thomas, you're like, man, that's my guy, because I'm kind of the same way. For some of us, we might have this past 
that just continues to haunt us and eat at us every single day. No matter what happens today, like we are, we're driven and we're focused on the past. There's a lady the same way named Mary that Jesus says, I don't care about your past. I love you. And I want you to walk with me. Let's move forward. You, you read about Mary, you're like, man, that's, I, I get that. I'm the same way. Or what if you're a prideful person? You have this prideful attitude. You're like, man, you know what? I'm just going to do this the American way. I, I don't need anybody, and I don't even need God. I got this whole thing handled. Now I got it all figured out, and the things that I decide are probably the best things. You know there's a guy in Scripture the same way? His name was Peter. Man, what a prideful guy. He messed up over and over again. He tried to tell Jesus what to do. Who's going to do that? Prideful dude. And yet God didn't give up on him. And he even used him in some incredible ways in leadership that he didn't deserve. For some of us, we might feel unworthy. We might feel unfixable. There's a guy in the Bible named Matthew. He was a tax collector. He felt the same way. And Jesus says, I got you. I'm still going to use you. You're still a part of this thing. No matter what you think about yourself, I think this about you, and it's totally different. And this is what truth is. There's some of us in this room or watching online that feel really small and unimportant. You think in this life, like I'll never be famous, I'll never make much of my life. I just feel like I'm just an ant in this whole thing, and I, I just feel unimportant. And time after time, Jesus would minister to the unimportant, right? He would minister to the small. He would go to that, that pool and heal that crippled man. Talk about being unimportant and small. And yet we're still talking about the dude today, right? God used him no matter where he saw himself in society. And God can do the same thing to you. Do you all get that? The reason we have scripture, the reason we, we have all of this, the things we have and all the stories we have is so that we can relate to that and say, that is me. And thank you, Jesus, that you have the same heart for me as you do for that person. Like I can feel it. You see, Jesus, he didn't want to just walk with those people back then. He wants to walk with you today. And my question for you is this. Will you walk with them? Will you walk with Jesus? Let me give you some practical ways to do that. Maybe that challenge this morning to be able to walk with Jesus is this. Have you ever read entire gospel? For a lot of you guys, you might have. Some, some of you, you may haven't. Or for some of you, it's been a while since you've done that. I want to encourage you and challenge you to do something. You have 14 days left for 2022 until New Year begins. During this Christmas time, what if you read one of the gospels? How about... John. We've been in John, so let, let's read it. I'm going to challenge you to read all of the Gospel of John. You know how long it's going to take you? Two hours. Did it every single day? Divide it up? Eight minutes a day. That's easy, okay? We spend more time, ten times that amount of time every day on social media. We could read the Gospel of John. You, don't, you could read the entire Gospels, all four of them. Take you eight hours. It's 34 minutes a day. It's not very long to be able to to walk with Jesus. There's 43 million steps of Jesus in these pages. Of Jesus 
giving us grace and truth. And my question for you is, have you walked with him? Will you walk with him? When, Jesus, when John wrote his gospels, or his gospel, he did it on purpose and for a reason. And it was to give us this eyewitness testimony because he knew there would be people in the future that would not know what happened. And he wanted us to know so that we could also have faith. In fact, John wrote a couple other letters in the book of Revelation. And the very beginning of his first letter, 1 John, look what he says. This is pretty cool. I'm going to finish with this. Here's what he says. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes, and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. Man. He says, this is the reason we have the scriptures, is so that we can know that Jesus really is who he says he is, that he is the savior of the world, that he came as a human being, God himself as human, and he walked with us. 43 million steps. Will you walk with him? And if you do, here's the guarantee. It's the source of life. It's how you find meaning and purpose in this crazy world. Will you walk with him? Let me pray with you. God, you are a good and holy God. And I thank you for your son, Jesus who came to this earth and dwelt among us. He stayed. And he walked with people. And although he's not physically walking right now, he's in heaven right now, in his glory, we get to hear about how he loved people and interacted with people, people of all shapes and sizes, of all nationalities, of all backgrounds, of all junk and sin. He took care of all that. He saw past all of that and he loved people. And, and God, I believe there's people in this room that need to hear that today. That Jesus loves them no matter what their past has said about them. No matter what junk they're living in right now, Jesus loves them. And we see it in scripture. And we thank you, Jesus, that you didn't just rule from afar, but you walked among us 43 million steps, full of love and grace and truth. And God, I pray for all of us here this, this morning. If, if there's some people who have never walked with you, I pray that they would give their lives to you today, that they would trust in you as Lord and Savior, that they would confess their sin and they begin to walk with you. And you would change their destiny. You would save their souls and change them, God. For a lot of us, we are believers in you. We're followers of you. We've, we've given our lives to you. And yet, for some of us, we've stopped walking with you. In fact, we can't really remember a time where we did. Our Bibles are collecting dust. Our Bible app needs to be re-downloaded. I pray that over the next two weeks, God, that we'd be challenged. Not from some guy up on stage, but from you. Holy Spirit, challenge us, convict us, and call us to walk with Jesus. Help us to be able to do that. And I pray, God, that you would show up in a big way. 
we'd see and feel your presence and we'd be changed. That we'd end this year right. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came to this earth and lived among us and walked with us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.